Well, thank you for being with us this morning. We're glad to see your faces and get to celebrate and worship our Lord Jesus Christ together. And uh, so we're, we're studying in the book of Romans, chapter 1. If we can go to chapter 1. I would like to read again from uh, verses 16 to the end of the chapter, and we're actually going to just uh, deal this morning with verses 28 through 32. Uh, But uh, let's look at these verses this morning. I'll read out loud. You follow along. Okay. All right. Uh, Verse 16. Um, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous man shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made. So they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not know, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to the impurity that their bodies might be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason God gave them over to degrading passions for their women and exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another men with men, committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty for their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness and wickedness and greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, trustworthy, unloving, unmerciful, and although they knew, know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they do not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. And let's look at these verses this morning. They're, they're pretty heavy, but we begin in verse 28. Um, <clears throat> but uh, would just remind you that uh, uh, the key... Uh, passage here 
uh, as we look at these verses, uh, Paul is unfolding uh, the, the righteousness of God uh, that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. God's plan for man's salvation. And he, he speaks of it in verses 16 and 17. The righteousness of God is revealed from heaven uh, and that the righteous shall live by faith. And this is going to be the theme of the book of, the, of Romans and he'll carry this theme that the righteous person lives by faith in justification and coming to faith or reconciliation or redemption before God all the way into sanctification and beyond for what it means for the believer to know the eternal life or salvation that Jesus Christ has brought for us is found by the power of the gospel. It is the power of the gospel. And we looked at two weeks ago, we saw the homosexuals and transgenders that were at the United States uh, Capitol and singing in the rotunda of the, the salvation that Jesus Christ had delivered them uh, from their sin. And the point is this, that the power of God is revealed from heaven and that power is able to save, it's able to deliver. Uh, but as he turns in verses 18 to the wrath of God, it's revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. He begins to deal with three categories of persons. The first persons are the pagans, the heathen that have not heard the special revelation that has been given by God uh, through his word, but they simply have what was passed on to Adam at his fall, a knowledge of good and evil. And that knowledge of good and evil, that conscious, consciousness that they have of these things that their creator has given to them is known by three things. General revelation uh, that, that comes innately in the created being. Uh, it is the innate consciousness about God and who it is as our creator. These things are innately placed in every man. Every person that you witness to will carry these. And then the, the third thing is, is moral law. The moral law is that which is spoken of as being the suppressed truth. It's what is innately within a person, the consciousness they have of good and evil. And the scripture tells us that they suppress the truth of that reality in their consciousness. Um, and so what we find in these verses, uh, in beginning in verse 18, is the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and righteousness of men. The first category is that person that has never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. They've never, um, they've never heard any of the special revelation that God has given apart from the created aspects that God has, has, has placed within them. And the scripture tells us, the Apostle Paul teaches here, that man is guilty because of this innate God consciousness that he has toward his creator and his suppression of the truth of what is good as opposed to what is evil. And the scripture tells us that they suppress the truth and so they're without excuse because they, the eternal power, his, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature are clearly seen and they suppress that so they're without excuse and it says that for when they knew God they glorified him not as God or they honored him not as God or became thankful or were thankful um, 
And so uh, what we're, we're looking at here is that, um, that they uh, suppress the truth, that they do not honor God as God, as their creator, and so professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and they exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God to the image of corruptible God. And there, there are three things, but the key thing here is that when they knew God, they did not honor him as God. And it's not that man doesn't know God, it's that he knows God but doesn't honor him as God. And that's why these things that we're looking at from verses 24 to the end of the chapter in dealing with the pagan man uh, have to do with this knowledge of God but not honoring him as God and not giving thanks, not being thankful to their creator. And so the scripture tells us that he... Uh, is plunged in his foolishness and in the suppression of truth into idolatry. He worships the, crea- the creator rather than the creature rather than the creator. He worships, his, his worship turns to material worship, the worship of things. And this is something that should concern all of us because we have those tendencies to attach ourselves and to attach security to those things which are temporal, those things which are material. And God is spirit, and he's truth. And so we, we, and that innate knowledge that we have of God uh, needs to be yielded and submitted to our God and creator that uh, we might submit ourselves to him who created us and know he who created us, and give thanks to the one who created us. So um, with that, uh, let me just say that they knew God. They knew God, but they did not honor him. They did not give glory to him as God. So uh, God gave them over, and and in these verses, beginning with verse 24, there's a repetition of this phrase, God gave them over. So God gave them over at first here in verse 24 uh, in the lust of their own hearts to impurity or uncleanness. Okay, so they were given over to impurity or uncleanness. Okay, uh, and, and it's, it's described as, as being uh, of the heart. So if, if we're thinking of the heart, what would we... Uh, he gave uh, them over to the lust in their hearts to impurity. Uh, so that's our affection, isn't it? Uh, when we get to the, the first great commandment, thou shalt love the Lord your God with all, first of all, your heart, your affection. God wants our affection. Our affection should be given to honor him and to give thanks to him and to give recognition to him and to give honor to him in our time of worship, in our time of praise, in the, the, the day in and day out walk that we have in this life and the enjoyment of the blessings of this world and all of the good things that God has given to us. Our hearts should be given to God. We should love the Lord our God with all of our heart. And so the point there is is that the hearts were given over to the lust of material things, to the lust toward those things, to the affection 
are the desire toward those things which were not profitable, which are temporal, which are material, but which have, uh, have are, are not uh, focused and placed rightly upon our Creator and the One who has given us all of those material things. Okay? So, uh, but not only did He give them over to impurity or uncleanness, and the Scripture tells us in that, that verse that, uh, that their bodies might be dishonored among them. And he picks up that theme with the second phrase in verse 26. And he says, For this reason God gave them over to degrading passions. And that's what we dealt with last time. I'm not going to go back over those things. But these degrading passions have to do uh, with the impurity of, of the body. So God, although they, they uh, knew God, uh, they did not honor as God, but uh, they were given over to degrading passions. Okay, uh, so their heart is corrupted in their bodies. Uh, remember that the that the body, the human body, was designed by God uh, for the purpose. It was designed uh, to be, and He created man to be in the image of God. Uh, so. The fall with the total depravity of mankind that took place, this body that was to be the image of God, that was created in the image of God, was defaced. It didn't cease to be made or created in the image of God, but it was defaced through sin. And, uh, and, and as uh, sin... Uh, takes control of one's life as the flesh takes control of one's life, then uh, mankind finds himself given over to degrading passions. And these include uh, many different things, but in our passage here it deals with, uh, in particular, with homosexuality, uh, with lesbianism and homosexuality between uh, women with women and men with men. And so God... Uh, addresses this, and the Apostle Paul addresses these things uh, in uh, the Word here. So, um, and then our passage this morning uh, has to do with the fact that God gave them over to a depraved mind. So, as we look at uh, these things this morning, we want to look at, at the aspects of, of what uh, is a depraved mind. Okay? So God gave them over to, uh, they were full of envy, murder, and all of these different aspects of, of the flesh, this desire uh, that, uh, that comes uh, with uh, the flesh and is not focused upon their creator and on the image that God created and intended for us, but that which is defaced through sin and uh, would find its fulfillment, satisfaction, its completion in the pursuit of things. And the scripture says that death and hell and Hades are never full, therefore the eyes of men are never satisfied. So we go back to the idea of the, uh, the affections of the heart and what we desire, uh, and we find that it's, it's defaced, it's, it's messed up, that we long for things, that we find our security in things, that we find our identity in things, that we find our satisfaction in things which are unprofitable. 
and there are things, are good things that God created and that God meant for the for us, but we've twisted them, and we've we've defaced uh, ourselves, our own bodies. The Scripture says uh, with uh, the issue of sin. So God gave them over, basically, to hearts of uncleanness, the hearts to uncleanness, to bodies. Uh, to be dishonorable in their passions and to minds uh, to another word for uh, depraved mind is reprobation or, or uh, reprobate mind. Uh, it means that we don't think right. It means that we uh, that we we do not have um, that characteristic that which is of the nature of God, which is giving and merciful and kind and and uh, and without covetousness or envy or, or self-seeking, uh, and that's the the nature of sin that man has come to, uh, and it's it's the problem that God dealt with through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's what He addressed on the cross of Calvary when the wrath of God was poured out for our sins. For the Scripture teaches that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and that the wages of those sins was death. And that death means not only physical death, that to go to the grave, that this body would return to the dust that it came from, but it also means that we would be separated from God in our persons and from the relationship that God intended for us by our sin. The wages of sin was death, separation from our God and Creator. And yet God in His great mercy through our Lord Jesus Christ, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us and He took upon Himself flesh and He humbled Himself and became obedient not only to take upon Himself flesh and leave the glories and the, the, the beauty and the rest and the peace of heaven with His Father, but He took upon Himself human flesh and bore in His body our sins on the cross of Calvary. That's the Gospel of Jesus Christ. It is powerful. It is life-changing. It is transforming. It will convert us and restore us and reconcile us to the relationship that we should have with our Creator. A relationship in which He becomes our Father. The Lord God. The One who reigns on His throne over all the universe. Who's God over all flesh. The earth is His footstool. He becomes your heavenly Father through Jesus Christ our Lord. And He took your sin. By the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, He placed that sin upon on Christ Jesus on the cross of Calvary. And the full penalty for that, pen, that sin was paid for on the cross of Calvary. You're justified. But the righteous man is justified through faith in Jesus Christ. He became sin for us. He became the propitiation for when the wrath of God, the just wrath of God fell upon the sins that you and I, that mankind has committed, God uh, afflicted the punishment, the just punishment for that wrath that He must do as God upon the Lord Jesus Christ. He afflicted His Son on the cross of Calvary. The Scripture tells us that He became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. So He transferred your guilt 
for your sin, your penalty for your sin to the person of Christ on the cross of Calvary. He took the penalty. He took the, the righteousness of Jesus Christ and he imputed it to your account. And by faith, we believe in the gospel. We trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and the work that he did on the cross of Calvary and the plan of our loving Heavenly Father whereby we've been redeemed from our sin and reconciled to our God who has become our Father through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's our status. That's who we are and that's, that's uh, uh, what is intended. So there's been a restoration through Christ in being in Christ of the image of, of man or the image of God in man through Christ Jesus our Lord. That's God's plan. It's what he's unfolded. It's the message that we carry in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I want to just think for a moment as we, as we look at, at verse 28 here. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper. And as we looked at, at this um, affliction that, that took place and God giving them over to the lust of their heart, um, it, it, I was uh, reminded of one of my favorite quotes by Miles Stanford, uh, and he has he has uh, um, uh, this to say: Every Christian will become at last what his desires have made him. We are all the sum total of our hungers. The great saints have all had thirsting hearts. Their cry has been, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Their longing after God all but consumed them. It propelled them onward and upward to heights toward which less ardent believers look with and entertain no help or no hope of reaching. And Psalm 107 verse 9 says this, For he satisfies the longing soul and fills the hungry soul with goodness. Now, the realities are that we look in life at uh, those things uh, and long for uh, certain things which cannot satisfy. Uh, certain things in the material world, uh, we, we simply uh, we see God has, has been insufficiently supplying our need. And so we look at it and we say, why didn't God create me more beautiful? Why didn't God create me smarter than what I am? Why didn't God uh, create me uh, popular or with power uh, or, or some longing of the heart, of the flesh? And this is our nature. Uh, we contend with God. And the, uh, the Scripture tells us, the, the Word of God tells us that we, that we long for things that we don't really need. Uh, but I think of of Proverbs uh, chapter 3, verses 5 through 7, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean into your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge Him and He uh, will direct your paths. He'll make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes, but fear the Lord and turn away from evil. I would submit to you this morning that it's evil for us to yearn for those things which God has not given to us. And it's, and it's righteous for us. It is important for us 
to, to look at God created me exactly how he created me for the calling that he has for my life. And satisfaction is going to be found when I, in submission to my God and creator, acknowledge that he created me in his workmanship unto good works which he before ordained. There's a calling for each one of you this morning that God has given that uh, as you long for that righteousness in God, for what he created you for and how he designed you perfectly suited for the exact time and exact place and exact need that God had in his calling for you to accomplish what he wanted to accomplish in, in your lives. And that's where you're going to find satisfaction. That's where uh, the glory of what God has done for us in Christ Jesus will be known in its fullness. It's at that point in time when we come to rest in God created me the way that he created me for a specific purpose and calling in my life. And I will know the fullness of satisfaction and the completion of the days that he has given to me when I have submitted to the will of my God and Father in acknowledgement that in his goodness he created me exactly how he intended with all of my flaws, with everything, with all of the, uh, of the good things that he put into my life to complete his will. And my calling is to complete that will. And those that have that desire, that yearning, that hunger to know those things that God has done for them and in submission to the Father's will and calling and in submission to the Word of God and the promises of God will find fulfillment. They'll find their identity. They'll find the satisfaction of knowing what and who they were created for. But let's look then at this verse because we find here uh, that just the opposite has taken place. Now I want to make the point because uh, what we find is that um, that God gives them over and uh, it's because they did not honor God or give thanks to God. And I, I would like to uh, just in consideration uh, look at and, and think about for a moment uh, what took place some uh, half century ago now. And uh, it was in June 25th, 1962, that the, the judgment on Engel versus Vitaly uh, was decided. Uh, and the Supreme Court of the United States of America decided that, that pr a prayer approved by the New York Board of Regents for use in schools violated the First Amendment because it represented an establishment of religion. So what happens in the hearts of men and people and society and culture and mankind that they would make such a decision to remove from their children prayer. Uh, it was in 1963 in the Abington School District uh, versus Shimp that the court decided against Bible reading in the public school along the same lines for the same reasons. So what is... What's taking place there and what are we looking at uh, when uh, something like this takes place, when a, 
a culture or a society uh, in their rebellion against God makes such a decision, makes such a judgment. Uh, and I would submit to you that God gives them over, that God has given them over. And we find that, that uh, with this decision, uh, the abandonment of God or the absence of God here, uh, that the academic achievement has plummeted, including the SAT scores. There's been an increased rate of out-of-wedlock births. There's been an increased rate in illegal drug use. There's been an increase in juvenile crime. There's been a deterioration in school behavior in the generations that have followed. What is that a result of except the abandonment of God and of truth? And, uh, you know, it's, it's the, the just consequences of God giving them over to the lust of their own heart, giving them over to a depraved mind. It's the just judgment of God that he makes when mankind rebels against their creator. And we find the removal. There's a sense in which God can never be removed because he's, he's omnipresent. He exists everywhere. But there's an ex a sense in which there's a removal of God and God's influence. And we find the problems that we find uh, in our schools today and in our culture and society today. The top five complaints of teachers from 1940 to 1962 were talking, chewing gum, making noise, running in the halls, and getting out of turn in line. Yeah. The top, uh, by, by uh, contrast, uh, from 1963 to present, rape, robbery, assault, burglary, and arson. It's stark. It is in our face. It is very, very vivid in regard to, uh, to, to what we're looking at here and the consequences of a decision that's made uh, in a Supreme Court in a land when a society and a culture determines to move away from the truth of God's Word and from what's needed and necessary. Uh, so as we look at these things... Um, we want to uh, consider uh, that since they did not approve of the knowledge of God, look at the verse again, and, they, and just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer. So that, that idea that what, what is meant in this passage is that they did not approve of that, that knowledge that they had of God. Although they knew God, they did not... Uh, honor him as God. So uh, God's wrath is revealed in that he gave them over uh, to what is just in regard to that uh, disapproval. That The idea there is a testing. That there's a testing. There's a decision that's made in the heart. God, things aren't right, and I don't like the way things are, and so I'm going to do this. It's that rebellious attitude uh, from mankind. Uh, and it's interesting that it's because of the effects of sin and it's that, that thing that we've talked about in the, in the past uh, where there's this, this spiraling uh, uh, down to uh, uh, from, from sin to rather than making a, a, a right decision 
and responding in humility that we harden ourselves and choose to do contrary to the will of God and choose not to deal with sin in the way uh, it's the, the law of diminishing good, good options for, for the person that rejects uh, the, the consequences of their sin for more sin instead of humility and repentance and turning to God in brokenness. I pray that as, as a country and as a people and for myself, uh, Scripture teaches us that we should repent and turn uh, back to the things that we know uh, of, of God in, in humility uh, as we're convicted of sin and we see the consequences of sin, that there's a, a brokenness that we have as God's people and a turning away from those things uh, to what the Word of God tells us to do, and that is to acknowledge it for what it is. So they did not approve, or, and testing the knowledge of God, they did not approve of God's judgment. They did not approve of, uh, what, uh, of the, the trials and the hardship and the things that we suffer. And so they say, well, if God does this, then I'm going to go my own way. I'm going to seek after my own things. And I'll fill my life with, with, uh, with money, the pursuit of money, or the pursuit of, and that's idolatry, is it not? Uh, I'll, I'll uh, fill my life with the things, uh, the material things of this world. And we're taking the things that God has given us, and we're not approving of the knowledge of God, but turning and rejecting and moving away from that knowledge of God. And so God gave them over to a reprobate mind or to a depraved mind. Okay, Since they did not approve the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a reprobate mind um, to do that uh, which is morally wrong. And that's the idea here. God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper. Uh, uh, the, the, the Greeks... Um, define that word for unfit, that Greek word for unfit is, is uh, unfit to bring into the temple. It's the idea that, that something is to be sanctified uh, and, and fit, uh, sanctified, and, and the idea of holiness to be uh, sanctified and set apart for God and for His, his service and, and for the dwelling place of God. Uh, becomes unfit. And the, the idea is that immorality uh, makes that the, the body, the temple of this body, unfit uh, for, for worship and for what it was designed for. Okay, so look at verse 29. Being filled with all unrighteousness and wickedness, uh, full of greed and envy and uh, evil and full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, uh, they are gossips, and the list goes on from verse 29 to 30. But let's let's just look for just a moment at what it means to be to do that which is morally wrong. <clears throat> um, uh, this list that is given, um, I, I couldn't help but think of the verse from Ephesians where the Apostle Paul is praying for the Ephesian believers, and it's a, a beautiful and wonderful prayer. Uh, that the uh, he prays uh, 
For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to all the fullness of God. So what is it saying there? It's saying that this body is designed in Paul's prayer for these believers is that they that Christ may dwell in our hearts, that God himself, that the Spirit of Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith and that we, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend the, the breadth and the length and the depth of that, and the height of his love for us, that we may be filled up with all the fullness of God. That's God's plan. That's his design. That's what he created the, the human physical body for. That's why he made us and created us in his image, that the the, the image of God, the power of God, the glory of God, the holiness of God, the righteousness of God might be displayed in our bodies. The fullness of God manifests in God's people. He's calling us to righteousness. He's, he's provided for us that which is necessary for us to walk in holiness and righteousness, to be sanctified and set apart to desire and to hunger after those things which are higher and noble and which are uh, according to the nature and character of Almighty God Himself. So uh, to do what is morally wrong or to yearn, to ask and it shall be given you, to seek and you shall find, to knock and the door shall be opened unto you, to yearn, to long, for the righteousness, the holiness, the things that are above, the things that are higher, the things that God created you for. Why is it that we so often and so frequently are distracted in our minds from the glory of what Paul spoke of as pressing on for the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus? He has a, a mark for us. And it's the glory of righteousness. It's the glory of the righteousness of Christ being shown, uh, shining as a bright light through God's people. It's His desire for you. And He wants for you to long for it. He wants for you to know the value of it and to long for these things. By contrast, in verse 29, we're filled with a long list of things that are that are morally wrong and apart from these. We've, we've been filled with four uh, things here. Notice that it says, and it's, it's this, this word, the reason that I went to Ephesians there, to be filled with all the fullness of God is, is to me contrasted here. So we're being filled, we're having been filled with these things. And there's four of them that are listed here that are, uh, 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 dative uh, uh, nouns of measure. Uh, and so we've been filled with unrighteousness and wickedness 
and fraudulent extortion and evil malice toward others. That's the flesh. That's the fallen nature of man. That's what it means in total depravity that those things are inside of all of us. That those things are characteristic of the old nature. That those things can't be divorced from the old nature. That's why we had to become new creatures in Christ Jesus. We had to be born again in Christ Jesus. We had to, God had to give us something completely new because the flesh couldn't be reformed. And they tried, and we're going to find in Romans chapter 3 that there was an effort, there was every attempt through the law and through many different means to, 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 to make man moral. And, and the flesh could not be made moral. It couldn't overcome the total depravity that it was brought to with original sin. But God in His great mercy through Jesus Christ provided a way for us to be filled with all the fullness of God in Christ Jesus. Filled with His fullness. How glorious and awesome to see and to get a vision for the, the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ and to know that God made provision for me in Jesus Christ to know by faith, by faith, that righteousness as a free gift, as eternal life. For the wages of our sin was death necessary for the fleshly man that he had to die. And we will have to go to the grave and die physically. But the promise of Jesus Christ is that I give to that person that believes in me, that puts his trust in me, that trust in the work that I did for him on the cross of Calvary, eternal life, and I myself will raise up that physical body on the last day. That's glorious. That is a glorious thing because nobody can fight death. And in truth, no one can fight sin. No one can fight sin. You can't win. The fleshly nature can never be reformed. It can never fight and win against sin. It had to be Christ Jesus. It had to be by grace through faith that the Christian was justified before God and that the Christian is sanctified by God. If you're going to be sanctified, you will be sanctified because God fills you not with being turned over, being filled with these characteristics, but being filled with the glories of the nature of Jesus Christ Himself. It's a one glorious and wonderful thing that God has done. And so it is, as you have received Christ Jesus, so walk ye in Him. We walk, we live the Christian life, we may experience the Christian life through God's work in, uh, in us and through us, the filling of the Lord Jesus Christ in our hearts and lives. It's His grace. And in this new nature, therefore, uh, in Christ Jesus, we become new creatures. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. In our new nature, we may live righteously. We may walk before God in the power of the resurrection that has been given to us, the eternal life that's been given to us in Jesus Christ. Why would we not long for it? Why would it not be the chief desire of our heart, the chief end and purpose that we press on to in life. Why would we not do that? Why would we not want it? And I, I pray that if anything comes of our sermon this morning, that there will be a longing 
to, uh, to, to love and to seek after God and to seek after these things that He set before us. Because every Christian will become at last what his desires have made him. Every Christian will become at last what you long for. Jesus laid that principle out. Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened unto you. By God's grace, through faith, these things will be true. And it will be true of us. The greatest and saddest thing that we'll face is that when we when our, our pilgrimage here is over, is that we'll realize that if I had just trusted God more, if I had just longed harder, if I had just had the passion that, G, that the Apostle Paul spoke of in uh, Philippians chapter 3, uh, that I may uh, lay hold of that for which I was laid hold of, that I may know the, the fullness of of reaching the high calling of God, pressing on for the high calling of God that He gave to me in Christ Jesus because there's a calling there for you that we should long for. There's a desire that God has given to us. And it's not, as He has given to the pagans here, turning them over to what they long for, letting them go in just judgment. And then in verse 29 it says, being full of, of five things. He gives us five things that are given. Um, there's our passage. I just explained it to you. So, uh, But if you want to write that down, Ephesians 3, 16 through 19, meditate upon it. Uh, what a wonderful verse that to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, it's beyond anything that we can comprehend that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to Him who's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to His power which mightily works within us. That's awesome. It's an amazing thing. And so the, the prayer of the Apostle Paul, to Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. What an incredible prayer. Did you know we can pray that? We can long for it. We can seek after it. God has given it to us. But He's, he's also given us uh, these five things that are, that are listed here um, in uh, the, the end of verse 29, uh, uh, being filled with five things. And so your, your passage may read, being filled with um, jealousy, envy, Murder, bad character, malicious craftiness, uh, or contention, uh, deceit and guile, uh, and then malicious craftiness or bad character. Uh, and this is the sad end of our flesh. And then moving on to verse 30, there are God gave them over to are becoming characterized by 12 different things. It's interesting here because in this passage he moves from four things that are genitives of measure uh, and uh, those uh, four things have to do with the unrighteousness and wickedness and extortion and evil malice. And then he goes to, 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 from datives to genitives and uh, in, in these nouns that he's, he's expressing. And finally here, these 12 things are, are accusative uh, there, there are things that uh, that God is saying you become characterized by by these 
these characteristics. Uh, so you become slanderers. Did you notice how many of these had to do with relationship? God cares about our relationships. He cares about uh, that we not only love God, but that we love our neighbor as ourselves. He cares about the fact that we love one another in the body of Jesus Christ. He cares about it. It's necessary. It's needful for us as God's people. Covenant breakers, backbiters, proud, without natural affection, haters of God, disobedient, contrivers, despiteful, merciless, above others, putting themselves boastful, putting themselves above others. Uh, these characteristics are the nature of our flesh. And you can, can certainly avoid uh, many of them, but they're always there. And if God gives us over, then they're manifested in our lives. That's the reality. Uh, because in total depravity, it means that all of these, uh, these uh, tendencies towards sin reside there in our flesh. Because of the, it's been defaced through sin. And uh, this characteristic, you know, we need to understand, I can't fix that. And God was the only one that could fix it through Jesus Christ and has done as such. So, uh, and then we go to verse 32, and although they know the ordinance of God that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. So the ordinance of God this word can be translated as righteousness, and I think it should, should not be translated as ordinance here because the pagans aren't given ordinance. They have consciousness, and so it has to do with, uh, with the, uh, the righteousness of God um, and uh, uh, that particular word uh, has to do, it can be translated a statute or decision, a judgment, justification, but it can be pronounced uh, an ordinance and also righteousness. It's the word for, for, for righteous. It's a noun that's used. Um, so what it's saying here is that in the conscience of men, there is that knowledge of good. There is that knowledge of, of what is righteous. Uh, and, and so uh, what Paul is saying is, is that, that the, the pagan man is guilty of the consciousness that he has of his creator, of what is right and wrong, and in rejecting that, those things. So those who practice such things are worthy, the scripture says, of death. So if you've ever been asked the question, well, what about the pagans that have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ? How's God going to judge them? He's going to judge them on this basis, that in the innate consciousness of that person, their rejection of their creator, and they're going to be justly judged on the basis of that knowledge of good and evil. Now, that knowledge of, of natural law is what our country and our Constitution was based upon. Our, our founders understood it. They understood that there were a lot of different religions out there that had different aspects of what they believed, but that there's a, a natural law and understanding of good and evil. And they built our, the laws of our country upon that understanding of natural law. It was, it was something that, that was above that, uh, the denomination. It was above the, the, the different 
facets of religion that, that fled persecution to come here. Okay? Uh, and so it was ingenious. It was God-given, our, our constitutional republic. Uh, and it was God-given in the sense that our founders understood natural law. They understood that the conscience of man uh, knows good and evil and they established certain rules and principles on the basis of that natural law. And the Apostle Paul teaches that we're judged on the, the basis of this uh, natural law. So they knew the ordinance of God or the righteousness of God, I would say, uh, that those who practice such things are worthy of death and that they do the same. Okay, so and what he's going to pick up in, in chapter 2 is this, uh, that not only, it's not that, that everybody commits homosexuality. It's not that everybody commits all of these sins, but it's that, that within our fleshly nature, uh, those uh, uh, sins are all within us. And, uh, and so he's making a point here that there are those that practice such things and that there are those that, that do the same, that though they do not do the same, that they uh, give... Uh, what does it say in, in uh, there? But they give hearty approval of those things. Uh, that the Supreme Court puts the stamp of approval on uh, certain things, as they've done recently. Um, and so we see those things, and he's going to pick up in chapter 2 with a moral code that doesn't do certain things of the flesh that are listed and spoken of here and in second uh, in first Corinthians chapter six, we see a list of fleshly sins, uh, and this, the apostle Paul said that such were some of you. Uh, but the point in this passage is that they <clears throat> they do the same in that uh, that if you break uh, the, the the code of, of God's moral code of law, you've broken all of the law, and that the wage or the penalty of that is death. So there's a, even with the moral and religious people and then with the Jewish person who has the law, there's condemnation because we do the same. We, we're still under that fallen nature. And we've, we've never been able, even with the moral code in chapter 2 and then in, in the rest of chapter 2, the, the, uh, the law code that was given and revealed later, the special revelation that's given through God's word, there's still that rejection and, and missing of those things. So um, that brings us to they knew the ordinance of God. Those that practice such things are worthy and they approve of those who do them. That approval, uh, and we see that in our culture today. We see believers that, that say and approve uh, of, of same-sex marriage, for instance, when God's word is very clear in regard to these things. Uh, and we find more and more uh, believers that profess Christ approve of these things uh, instead of speak against them as being sin. Uh, so, um, and then I wanted to close with this verse. The scripture tells us to delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him and he will do it. And I've thought about and meditated on this verse many times through the years, but when you delight yourself in the Lord, he gives you the desires of your heart. And I want to contrast that with, with seeking 
and the, the, the self, selfish and self-seeking that is characteristic of our old nature. And this, it, Jesus taught it like this. He said, he that, that saves his life loses it, and he that loses his life saves it. What does all that mean? It means that we don't know what we want. Uh, it means that when we're in submission to our God and Creator, and like the Lord Jesus Christ, we're willing to say, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done, in submission to God. That God does this work within us, and we discover the desires of our heart are being full, fulfilled and satisfied. But the requirement is that submission to the will of God, the purpose, the calling of God that He's given to each one of our lives. So I'm challenging you this morning and asking you to make a decision in your heart, to make a very deliberate decision that I'm going to submit myself to the desires that God knows that I need, that God knows that I want because I trust Him, because I believe that He loves me, because I believe that He knows the fulfillment of that. And just like Jesus Christ, who went to the cross of Calvary with the most evil and wicked thing that was ever done, God will turn what the decision that you've made into glorious good, into glorious satisfaction, into glorious fulfillment, because the glory of God and the glory of Jesus Christ will rest upon you. It will rest upon your life. And you will know what it means to lay hold of that for which you were laid hold of in Christ Jesus. You will understand one day the fulfillment and the fullness of that eternal life that has been given to you in Christ Jesus because it will never end. The satisfaction of it, rather than being death and life, are, are never full and so the desires of men are never satisfied. You will know the fulfillment of that eternal life that has been given to you in Christ Jesus. May it be true of God's people. And may we know the fulfillment of what He has said. Father in heaven, we thank You for Your great mercies. To You be the glory in the church. And in Christ Jesus our Lord, to all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Let's stand together, please.